Well, hello there. I am so glad that you're able to join us for our weekly celebration. I trust that these online experiences have encouraged you and strengthened you and your family. But we're hoping someday soon that we'll be able to gather once again together. You know, we're going to continue our study in 2 Corinthians. Paul and Timothy wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. Paul came to the wild town of Corinth on his second missionary journey and started this church that was filled mostly with Gentiles. Paul preached for 18 months before he left to share the gospel in other territories. Soon after Paul left, the church began to unravel. So Paul addressed the issues and wrote three harsh letters. They were honest letters, but difficult to receive. 2 Corinthians is the fourth letter, but it's different than the other three. Paul shares his pastoral heart. He reveals his struggles and preaches that God's power is best shown in fragile, weak vessels just like himself. He desires deeply that they experience an intimate relationship with God and the power that accompanies such a rich relationship with the Father. But since leaving, Paul had come under attack at the church of Corinth. There were leaders in the church that didn't like Paul or his teachings. Folks who once supported him and embraced his authority, but didn't like losing their control or influence. They sought to discredit him and undermine his God-ordained authority. They attacked his integrity, falsely accused him of not being honest and sincere in the dealings with the Corinthian church. These false leaders also portrayed Paul as a manipulator, scheming to defraud the Corinthians and promote his personal agenda. In short, some of the folks in the church, well, thought that Paul's motives were corrupt, his words were untrustworthy, and his actions were devious. Paul addresses the outrageous lies in order to protect the people, not to restore his reputation. Paul knew their, their savage personal attack had divided the church and was an all-out assault on divine truth. Our text will be better understood if we understand this context. Last week, Paul tried to describe God's perspective about suffering. Paul shocked the church by saying that one of the reasons that God allows suffering is so that we might experience his comfort. But not just benefit us, we believers. God gives us comfort so that we might be able to comfort others with the comfort we ourselves had received. This message had to rock your boat if you listened to it. This message had to change your perspective on suffering. 
We are given comfort so that we might be able to be God's instruments and give his comfort to others. This is an amazing message for such a time as this. Then Paul shared about the extreme hard times that he literally had gone through, which it was a situation that's rather unknown to us centuries later. But it wasn't unknown to the Corinthian church. God's servant was discouraged. He was disheartened. But he was rescued, in part because of God's people who were praying. Think about that. Paul was rescued because God's people were on their knees. Well, before we continue with Paul's prayer, let's pray. We praise you, Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord, now and forever. For you rule the nations, and your glory is higher than the heavens. My heart is confident in you, O God. I can sing your praises with all of my heart. Who can be compared to you, God? Well, no one. No one is as powerful. No one is as mighty. No one is as loving as you, God. How joyful are those who fear you, God, and delight in obeying your commands. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless as they face the future. Lord, many do not fear you. May your love for our world draw everyone to your strong arms. Would we see our sin as you see it and repent often and quickly? Would you use our circumstances to make us thirsty for your life-giving water? Father, we ask for mercy. We are disheartened and dazed. We ask you to heal our land, to restore our health, our economy, and its brokenness. We are asking you for strength, strength for the day, strength for the future. We are asking you for a cure, that there would be a vaccine developed, Father, for this virus. We pray for our leaders. We know, Lord, that their task is a difficult one. And we pray that you would draw them to yourself and give them your wisdom. We also pray for your church. The church that is spread out all over this world. And this church, Cross Point Church. We pray that you would unleash your kids. That we would be salt and light and represent you well. Father, may your kingdom come. We ask even now, Lord, that you would use your word this day to teach and convict and equip us. That your spirit would be so active that our lives would be totally transformed. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.
Let's jump into our text today. If you would, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start reading at verse 12. So open up your Bibles, your flat screens, or follow us along on the screen. This is what Paul writes. We can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all of our dealings. We have depended on God's grace, not on our own human wisdom. That is how we have conducted ourselves before the world, and especially toward you. Our letters have been straightforward, and there is nothing written between the lines and nothing you can't understand. I hope someday you will fully understand us, even if you don't understand us now. Then, on the day when the Lord returns, you'll be proud of us, in the same way we were proud of you. So Paul writes, after the dust has settled. He says, we can say with confidence, in a clear conscience, in other words, they can sleep at night, that we did really well in the midst of, of our suffering. In other words, Paul said, we honored God when the times were really, really tough. God gave them strength to be holy and sincere men in all of their dealings with all people. The word translated holiness has some variants in the Greek manuscripts. The NLT text, which I use, tried to clarify its meaning, but I believe actually blurred its meaning. I think as you look at the verse in context, the word is best translated pure motives, and it's in so many of your other translations. So Paul is saying that in spite of suffering, he dealt with others honestly. And with integrity. I believe Paul literally uses this word because of the accusations against him. Bible scholar John MacArthur writes this. Remember the deviant leadership had launched a three-pronged attack on Paul's credibility. On the moral level, they accused him of secretly being a wicked sinner and being justly suffered, or are justly suffering all the time because of the chastening of God. On the relational level, they accuse him of being insincere, deceptive, and manipulative. They charge that he was not what he appeared to be on the surface, that in reality he was using the Corinthians for his own selfish purposes. On the theological level, they charged that Paul misrepresented God's word and was a liar and a false teacher. What hurt Paul more than those baseless, slanderous lies was the sad fact that many in the Corinthian congregation believed that. So Paul was using a word that would address the lies. He was a man with pure motives. He didn't deceive or manipulate. 
Not only did they, Paul and Timothy, have pure motives, but they also were sincere. They had moral purity. They were above reproach. So unusual is that in their culture, but also in ours. It's hard enough to have pure motives and moral purity when life is good. But when things get hard, for us to be able to have, or for us to be able to say that we have pure motives would be amazing. God alone, Paul says, gives us the power to have pure motives and moral purity among all peoples, no matter how you treat it or whatever the circumstance. Paul says they honored God well, both to the Corinthians and to the not yet redeemed people that they had contact with. Imagine this. Suffering deeply, yet dealing with pure motives and moral purity to all people. They were men of integrity. Their words and their actions, well, they were in harmony. Nobody can do this but people who walk with God. We want our auto mechanics and our electricians and our politicians to have pure motives and sincerity. We just want to know the truth. We want them to be able to share with us as men and women of integrity. And it's hard to trust some of these folks in our lives. We especially want our pastors and our leaders and our friends and family members to treat us honorably and to have integrity. But since we are a rather self-focused lot, this can only happen by God's grace and through God's power. It's hard sometimes to be the same person at home as you are at the office or on the job site. But Paul was saying that's what happened in his life. And even under really hard circumstances, they continue to treat people exactly the same. He's saying that their language and their actions didn't change, even when the environment did. And then he goes on and says this, but, but let's talk about my letters. Apparently they were also under attack. But he said this, we wrote you. And we were straightforward. And we wrote with integrity. We shared with you truth. Now remember, they were not well received at first. And this probably was some of the reason that Paul was under attack. But Paul knew the scriptures. And in Proverbs 27 verse 6 the scriptures say this, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Nobody likes 
hearing the truth. When it hurts. But when a friend shares it, at least we know that they are doing it with sincere hearts and good intentions. Then Paul addresses um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. And actually, I'm not even going to read that today. I, I encourage you to read that, but I would like to summarize it. He says this. He says, let's talk about my plans. Let me talk about one of the things that you're addressing. One of the things that you're upset about. He said this, We had every intention to visit you twice. After Paul had left, he had shared with the people that he wanted to come back and wanted to encourage them and wanted to strengthen them. But his plans changed. Life got a little bit more complicated, and he wasn't able to come back and visit this church or to follow up with this church. Paul basically said, you think I'm fickle. My word is untrustworthy. But there are reasons this happened. You don't understand them. And for some reason, he didn't explain them in great detail. But he said, someday you will understand. We will all stand before Jesus. We will all be accountable for our calendars and our choices. But I want you to know, I made those choices with integrity. It was, I had every intention in coming back. But somehow, my plans changed. They should have known better. They had spent 18 months with Paul. They knew his heart. They knew the integrity that accompanied his words. But somehow, these leaders, these false leaders, had deceived the people. And they've will cause some doubt. And Paul was hurt. You know, in these first few verses here in, in chapter 1 that we're covering today, I hope you don't miss that Paul actually did some evaluation. You see, an unexamined life rarely makes a kingdom impact. I bet all of us We'll be making some kind of evaluations once this pandemic is over or once we return to life a little bit more normal than it is. But Paul sat down. He had gone through that suffering. He recognized how he went through it. And he said, once that dust settled, once I realized what had happened, you know what? We did honor God. We walked with God. We represented God well. We had lives of integrity. How cool is that? To be able to please God with our lives. You know, there's plenty of times we can beat ourselves up. But there are also some times when we do listen. And we do make God smile. 
Those are blessed times. And may God continually encourage each one of us to listen better, to listen quicker, and to honor God with our words and our actions. Then Paul closes up our section in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 24 with some truths. He is always teaching the people, no matter what he's doing, writing a letter or there in person. So let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 21. It is God who enables us, along with you, to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us, and he has identified us as his own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Now I call upon God as my witness that I am telling the truth. The reason I didn't return to Corinth was to spare you from a severe rebuke. But that does not mean we want to dominate you by telling you how to put your faith into practice. We want to work together with you so that you will be full of joy. For it is by your own faith that you stand firm. Paul starts off saying that God gives us, not just Paul and Timothy, But the church, too. God gives us strength to stand firm for Christ. Paul just shared how this happened in the most trying of his situation or circumstances. And part of the strengthening, part of standing firm for Christ, certainly was the praying. Which, again, we try to emphasize because it's so critical in our walk with God. But Paul gives us some more insight, although he just mentions what standing strong really is. um, He writes a letter to the Philippians, to the Philippian church. And in chapter 4, starting at verse 1, he defines a little bit better for us what standing firm in the Lord looks like. So I like to read that. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true or stand firm to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I received for my work. Now I appeal to Iodia and Sintiki, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Paul says this to the church at Philippi. Standing strong means being united. It means when there's conflicts, work it out. May God give you strength to be able to represent him well, especially in the church. Standing strong means being joyful for all circumstances. And even giving thanks to God for your circumstances. We're realizing that God is in control. And only, only allowing us to go through certain things. God allows hurts and joys. And we can be joyful because our God walks with us. And our God is allowing it and will use it to help us grow and be dependent on Him. Says standing strong also means not worrying, but praying. We have gone to this text so much during these dark days, these hard days, these, these days that we're struggling. Because there is so much to worry about. But standing firm in Christ, again, comes back to, I am not going to be concerned I know the future may even look pretty bleak, but I'm going to pray about it. And I'm going to leave this in your hands, God. And I'm going to trust you because you are my loving Father. And you're a king. And you're sovereign over all. Standing strong means fixing our thoughts on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It's choosing to think about things that will encourage you and strengthen you and be positive, not negative. Paul also says that standing strong in this text means applying the truth that I taught you. This is so important. You see, if we just learn a bunch of verses... If we just understand God's principles, but actually don't apply them, don't trust Him, don't take that step of faith, impossible to stand strong in Jesus. So the first thing Paul reminds them is that we are capable of standing strong. We are capable no matter what the circumstances, so stand strong in Christ. Secondly, he says that God has commissioned us. God has commissioned us. 
God has sent us out. God has given us a task. God has given us an assignment. And we find out again what that assignment is from Jesus himself in Matthew 28. A few verses that are so familiar. Verses that are called the Great Commission. Well, the Great Commission is just a commission, again, that we have been received, that we have received from God. Something that's so very important. And sometimes, again, because we know about it, we forget to do it. Matthew 28, let me read for you, starting at verse 18. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gave us a task and commissioned us to go make disciples. Help people follow Jesus. Encourage people to follow Jesus. Teach people how to follow Jesus so they can teach people to follow, listen, obey, submit to Jesus. You know, our, in our introduction to Second Corinthians a few weeks back, um, we spent a lot of time just looking at what discipling looks like. Because it was Paul and Timothy who wrote this letter. And Paul was discipling Timothy. He made a choice. He invested in Timothy. And encouraged Timothy to invest in others. This is a heartthrob of Paul. It's God's way of getting things done here on the planet. So not only does he want us to stand firm in Christ and get strength from him, but he wants us to make disciples. He's commissioned us to do that. And then, so very cool, Paul says this, that God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given everyone who is born anew the Spirit of God to live in them. This still was quite new to Paul and all those Christians. Because it didn't happen until Pentecost. Before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit just indwelled certain people for certain occasions. But once Jesus came, died on the cross, gave us access to God by faith, he promised to send us a comforter and to give us the Spirit who will dwell in us and live in us. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes this, And we have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit, so that we can know the wonderful things that God has freely given us. The Spirit teaches us. One of the primary reasons that we have received the Spirit is that we might be able to understand all the truths that God has given us. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, Paul, or Peter, uh, says this. He is preaching, and he, he says, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord, our God. You see, the Spirit of God dwells in everyone who comes to faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit equips us for life. He teaches us truths from Scripture. He convicts us of our sin. He actually prays for us when we pray. And he empowers us to live a life. As we listen to the Holy Spirit in our life, we begin to bear fruit. We begin to mirror to others what God looks like. Paul then writes, As I look back, I am glad that I wasn't able to visit you. Because if I would have visited you, I would have been a really hard visit. Now, it seems like there was a response by the Corinthians. That these three letters, it was a couple lost letters and 1 Corinthians, that, that the church in Corinth, the believers there, the saints in Corinth, did respond. Because I'm pretty sure... If they hadn't, Paul would have probably said something here, but he didn't. So they must have been convicted by the Spirit, and they must have listened to the Spirit. They didn't need Paul as a pastor, as a teacher, to remind them of areas that they were not listening to God well in. You know, you remember even Nathan, Nathan the prophet who came to David, who hadn't confessed his sin. And God says, I, I've got to send you, Nathan. I've got to send you so that you can let David know. He's not responding. He needs to respond. He needs to repent of his sin. Well, apparently, there wasn't a need for a Paul or a Nathan to the Corinth church. And that was pretty neat. Paul then shares... In light of all of the accusations, he says, let me clarify our role in your life. What my role is, what my role and what Timothy's role is in your life. We are not here to dominate or to dictate ministry or make sure you do things my way. We want to work with you, Paul says, so that you discover the joy in the faith journey and the strength 
that God gives you to stand firm. Paul is clarifying the role of pastor-teacher right here. He helps us understand this better in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Talking about pastors, he says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. What a privilege that elders and pastors have. It doesn't mean they're the only ones that do this, but, but literally this is their responsibility to equip and to edify the church so that it's unified in faith and grows to maturity so that it reflects Christ well. Pastors and staff and elders are not there to do the work of the ministry. They're there to equip and empower and to help the flock mature. So that wherever the flock goes, they reflect or they mirror God well. And they're to keep equipping and they're to keep teaching until everyone in the fellowship become mature. But, Paul had some accusations. And because of these accusations, he had to clarify his role once again. He had to clarify what he was to do, and that was to partner with, their, with the folks in Corinth so that they might experience joy and strength on the journey. So let me wrap up. What's Paul trying to get across? He's saying just a few things. He's saying let's honor God in our hard times by walking with God so that we can be people of integrity. So our words and our actions match. And it doesn't matter what circumstance or environment we're in. We're the same people whether we're on the job or in the church lobby. He also said, stand strong for Christ and reflect them well, Corinthians. He reminded them that they had a mission and that God had commissioned them to make disciples. And he wanted to Thank God, I believe, for the Spirit. Because the Spirit who dwells in us teaches us and equips us and encourages us and strengthens us and, well, chips away the things that don't reflect them well so that we bear the fruit that people can see that the Spirit of God lives in us. Next week, we'll continue looking at a letter where Paul shares his heart and we'll find out that God's strength is so much more visible 
as he works with weak vessels like us as we depend on him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your grace. I thank you for the privileges that you've given us. I thank you, dear God, that that when we fail and when we blow it, you don't push us aside. We're so grateful that you forgive the repentant. We're so grateful that you empower those who come to you and walk with you. We pray, dear God, that we would stand strong, that we would reflect you well, that we would make disciples, and that we would learn from the Spirit, that we would listen to the Spirit's convictions, and that the Spirit would produce fruit in us that would be undeniable. We can't do that by ourselves, God. We can only do that as we hang on to you. Give us courage. Give us strength. Even, Lord, as I think of Paul's persecution in the church, Lord, we pray that our church would love each other well. That we would respect the authorities in our life. And that we would bring you honor in all we do in the church and outside our walls. We are grateful, God, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.